Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Trash Bin Kids podcast. We're your hosts, Damien Rivera and Jackie, a.k.a. the Flappy Bird Champ. Woo! Join us every week as we pour over the media that warped our minds and molded us into the upstanding mutant citizens we are today. We'll pick apart old favorites, current obsessions, and all the glorious trash in between. This is it, guys. New season, season two starting. Season dos! We are Number here! Uh, we want to thank... Lieutenant Headtrip for that amazing intro music that he provided for us. Um, he's an amazing rapper, producer, engineer. Um, go follow him on Instagram at Lieutenant Headtrip, LT Headtrip, all one word. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for that. It really kicks our uh, podcast up a notch. We really appreciate Ooh, it. I love it. I love the intro. I love their old one too. It was kind of funky, but I do love, obviously, like it has our name in the podcast allegedly uh lieutenant head trip had said that he got like a couple of kids to do it for him so that was fun yeah you got his like i think his relatives kids or something to I love it yeah. family <laughs> <laughs> it's all about family Woo, family um are we are we still doing the vin diesel meme is that still a thing i mean that's not what I, my intention but okay, that's well, where your mind went that's it's immediately where my mind went <laughs> um just you know wanted to touch base with you guys before we get our episode started um just a little bit of housekeeping where we've been what we've been up to while we haven't been uh filling your ears with joyous laughter and and raunchy behavior um um, first we'll remind everyone to support us by following us on instagram i know we've been kind of silent lately but we're going to come back to you with um, we fresh were, new art and we were, photos. Right, we were on a, just a little hiatus in between seasons. Yeah, we had like chaos erupt in our lives as well as like good things. My laptop wasn't working for like a whole week, so that was fun. Yeah, um, which is like the week that we were going to record. Yeah. Come back, it like <laughs> exploded. It knew, it knew it didn't want to be a part of the nonsense. Yeah. But we got everything back up and running and we're here to be with you all. Our little trash babies, we missed you. Why are you laughing? I'm not laughing. Stop, stop looking <laughs> at me. You think I'm being false? <laughs> no, I'm not being false. You're not being false. Okay. Well, w- let's let's talk about some of the stuff that we've been doing. Yeah. Um, we've, we've been busy this summer. Fall is upon us. We're about to enter... Uh, Spooky season! Season of, of, the, of the fright. Yeah, um, Damien just had a birthday, and then my birthday is coming up on October 1st, which means I kick off spooky season. The spookiest of babes. You're the harbinger. Do you feel existential crisis coming on? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to turn 30, so that's all I've been thinking about. It's a big number. I've been thinking about... I've never been into, like, the whole, like, age thing. Like, 21 wasn't a big deal to me. 18 wasn't a big deal to me. But, I don't know, something about 30 is really getting to me. Um, That's that's the time when you're not a kid anymore. Like, you... Yeah. Like, even up to your 20s, I think, like, you could be considered a kid. Yeah. When you're in your 30s, shit gets real. 
Yeah. And then, like, I think one time my mom, in passing, had told me that 30 is when, like, a woman's, like, cells start to die or something. And I was like, oh, great. Thank you. That's not... We live in 2021. Um, So, I am feeling existential crisis, but I know I'll get over it once October 1st is like any other day. I mean, you know that I had my little (laughs) meltdown when I turned 30. Yes, and I was there to tell you that it's no big deal, and I'm sure you'll be there to talk me off the ledge when I turn 30 as well. I felt like I was no longer young and beautiful. But you're so young and beautiful. But then, you know what happens? I turned 32 a week ago, and you realize, like, it's just as young as you feel. True. So, like, you just don't want to become an old piece of shit. Yeah. You know? We're going to be trash bin kids forever. Exactly. Like, you have to keep... Things that keep you young are the things that you love and enjoy, so you can't, you know... So this podcast is going to help keep us young. Fingers crossed. Woo! Or it might take years off our life. We don't know. So, yeah. We had birthdays. We did some summertime activities. Um, We were being safe. Oh! 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 For those of you not in our uh space right now our uh, window shutters just kind of flew open Exploded. but yeah so Mr. <laughs> <laughs> uh what else we did some traveling but we were safe all I mean, driving we yeah, well we did to, we went to pennsylvania for the joe bob briggs show which we talked about in our bonus episode we've stayed in the tri-state area yeah we've stayed in the tri-state area true true we went to connecticut for a day that was very nice we went to um uh a movie, a movie show, a movie store, a movie store, a movie show, the movie store. The, yeah, the, I forgot the name of it. The archive. We yeah, the archive. About it. I think we talked about that in the Joe Bob episode. Oh well, we're talking about it again. Booyaka. True. We did, we did a little uh, a little two day trip to Connecticut where um yeah we we did a little bit of of eating we did a little bit of sightseeing and we went to the archive which like we mentioned before is a all horror and exploitation themed kind of video store so basically right up damien's alley yeah <laughs> he was living his best life so it's pretty awesome, um right? yeah what else did we, did we do we did a little bit of beach we had a very rainy summer so every day that i was like off um unfortunately it was not great weather for swimming um so we didn't get to go as, to the beach as much i mean damien went more than me That's what happens when you're unemployed <laughs> Every day is a beach day. Woo! And what else? Oh, we had that hurricane that passed through New York. Flooded like every house in New York. Yeah, it was pretty bad for like a week just traveling. Uh, Mass transportation was shut down in in a lot of my area. So that was pretty crazy. Um, I don't want to be insensitive. But you know how multiple people died died in their apartments? Yeah. I can understand it in some instances. But for the most part, how does that work? Well, a lot even of if you have a, even if you have a basement apartment, a lot of those apartments weren't um, up to code. Like they weren't supposed to right. be apartments, and so what happened was is in some of those cases, it started to flood so quickly. But can't you just walk out? No, that's what I'm saying. Like it floods so quickly, and because that apartment wasn't built to code, they probably weren't able to get the door open because. It's I, not. It's not at the right level. See, I picture the floating like the scene in Austin Powers where the guy is getting steamrolled, and he's like, "No!" <laughs> and then it like pans out, and the steamroller is like actually down the hall, and he just screams, "Oh dear!" The entire of the time until he gets rolled over. I'm sure that wasn't but, the case. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Especially because a lot of this did happen late at night. True. New York is grimy. We don't know. Like people's might not have had egress or uh, able to. Yeah. 
So. Yeah, we had that. So RIP those people. We are sensitive to yeah. your family's loss and the shit that you went through. And sorry, I mean, we're so lucky we didn't lose power. Oh yeah, we didn't lose power either at my apartment. We just like my dad wasn't. My dad had to work that night, and he basically he walked to the train for maybe five minutes, and he was soaked to the bone, and his umbrella like shat his pants. Yeah. And then he was only the only able to get halfway to work before having to like walk from the train to his job soaked and wet. Like the, the yeah. and it was just terrible, but. We survived. Dad, Things that's, got better. That's commitment on your dad's part. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where he gets that. Because I would see, because <laughs> I would see three snowflakes outside and call my job and be like, "Yeah, listen, the walls are really bad. I don't think I can make it." Well, I guess if you've lived in New York long enough, you've seen it all. You don't think too much about a little wetness. Yeah. So, but move on to more positive things. Um, well, we did a corn maze. We did a corn maze, but you also kind of had a meltdown. I feel I didn't have a meltdown. You say it wasn't a meltdown. It's not a meltdown because what, everybody. What lives. I what happens with me with almost everything is I always have a minor panic attack before I do the thing, whatever it may be. But once I'm in it, I'm in it. And I was just very determined to get us through the corn maze. Mm-hmm. And did I not get us through the corn maze? You got us through, but you like um, you you took it very seriously. Yeah, escape, why wouldn't you? Escape from why it. wouldn't you take escaping seriously? Because I was kind of like, oh, we're just gonna wander through the corn maze. We're gonna like look at some corn. We're okay, like, there's only but so much time. I like you to can mosey. Look at corn. I like to mosey, and I had to tell you, can you please slow down? My feet hurt. Like you're walking so fast. You never said your feet hurt. You just said. Why are you walking so fast? Yeah, and that's why I'm trying you, to get us out of the corn maze. And then at one point I started laughing, and you just like stop, and you just like turn around, you whip around, and you're like, "What's funny to you?" <laughs> I don't think I said it like you that. said that. I didn't say it like fucking Batman. I was like, in "This is funny." Night. I said, "This is funny." And you thought like, I was funny. You think this is funny? It's not a game. And then you walked away with your like little flag. Your behavior in a corn maze tells me how you're going to behave come a zombie apocalypse, okay? If you're not in full survival mode in a corn maze, then that means when shit hits the fan, you are going to die. Right. Because you're not going to walk fast enough or whatever the case may be. You kind of, yeah. So it's you like. You treated that corn maze like it was Survivor. And we survived. And you wanted to cheat. And guess what? I wanted to cheat on your behalf because I thought you were getting a little bit no, like... No, I was determined to you win. Seem, you seemed like you were a little bit... um, Like at any moment you were ready to just like end it all in the corn maze. Just no, I, I had fun. And that's like the thing that, again, like I always like kind of have like a small like panic attack before I do anything. Like I even was like this when we went snow tubing like right before... We got on the ramp and we were watching people like do it. I was like, but what if? Mm-hmm. Because my mind always jumps to worst case scenario. Like what if like halfway down the the hill and we're snow tubing, my snow tube turns upside down and I break my neck on the hill. Right. Like that's where my mind goes. But worst case scenario in the corn maze. Is that we never get out. Right. right. Yes, right. That we're there forever <laughs> and at some point they find our skeletized remains. Yeah, exactly. But if like... You could just walk out of the corn maze, like you just. Yeah, like, but also I was just like, oh, I really want to like complete this. I want to feel the accomplishment of like doing the corn maze. Yeah, remember when that lady yelled at us? Oh yeah, we way? tried to go uh, through the exit into the entrance. Like we weren't trying to skip the line per se, but we didn't want to walk around the whole like sunflower field. They didn't make it clear. I thought when it said no entry, that. It said it meant no entry because it had rained the night before and there was a giant like mud area. Oh yeah. So I thought it was like true. no, go around the other side. Yeah, and then we got yelled at. I which which really, that ignites Damien's uh, fight or flight 
fright, fight, or fight response. My fright, my fright, fright response. <laughs> Your fright response. I got so scared. I literally, I thought I was gonna like. Well, anyway, we survived the made corn me maze. So angry. You know what it is? I hate when people correct me on my behavior. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> I wonder why we it's struggle just, through this podcast so much sometimes. <laughs> Um, what else? I went into full plant mom mode over the summer. I had a few plants before the, um, you know, whole pandemic and everything. But I think after a year of being trapped in my house and then like also immersing myself into the plant community on YouTube, I went like full plant mom where it's like all I want to do is like go to nurseries and touch plants and buy plants and watch people buying plants. Mm -hmm. And now that it's fall, some of my plants are already acting they're already acting up, and I have to face the fact that some of them might die or go dormant, and I don't know if I'm gonna be able to take it. Yeah, you've gone apeshit with the with the plant life. But you said that it looked nice. Life. It did, yeah, but apeshit in a good way. I didn't say it was a bad. Oh, thing. okay, yes. Like you just went all in. Yeah, if you want to see my plant babies, you can follow me on Instagram, at Jackie versus World. Yup, she shows. Uh, I show all off the plants. my plants. I do some reels sometimes. I do plants of the day sometimes. She's got all the info. Yeah. Also, um, can we still say that we're in a pandemic? Is, is this, are we still classified? I mean, we're pandemic? still, like, about to, like, what fire we, a bunch of people for not having, like, been vaccinated and doing? stuff, so. Can it be over? I don't know if I want it to be over or if I'm ready for it to be back to, like, peak pandemic where, like, everybody could just stay home and nobody expected anything from anybody, you know? <laughs> I'm tired of the fuckery, I think. I'm tired mm -hmm. of, like, grown people still, like, bitching about, you know, wearing a piece of cloth over their face for 15 minutes or, like, not wanting to get... A vaccine because they think that the government's trying to track you or whatever like that that's the kind of shit that i'm like over i'm over like stupidity i'm mm -hmm, i'm mm -hmm. not so much over like the pandemic because you know it's going to be around for a while especially because of the stupidity right. um i'm just over like human beings being stupid and selfish i'm over that mm -hmm. <laughs> understandable uh, trying to hoard as many Halloween decorations as possible. Oh yeah, um, preparation. Yeah, I already kind of decorated my little plant corner with all the spook that my tiny apartment can handle. And Damien's gonna go like full ham sandwich on his uh, house soon, so I'm super excited to see that. And we can post it on the gram for everybody to see. Oh yeah, it's been a while. Oh, we can do a tour. We could do a spook tour spook of your house. Tour and the the giant spiders. Yeah. Don't exactly. be scared. They're not real. They won't hurt you. <laughs> and this is a spooky skeleton. Don't be scared. It's not real. It can't hurt you. <laughs> I have a cemetery here. Please, please, you can walk on it. There's no dead people here. They can't hurt you. Or are there? <laughs> the whole earth. Yeah. So before we get this episode started. We must right a wrong from season one. Justice. Uh, <laughs> justice will be served. Um, if everybody remembers last season, we asked you to write to us with your spooky tales and alien stories. And Damien was a bit salty because we only received one email, which we read in episode 15. I was really disappointed. I know. Damien thought that our fans were going to all be firm believers in aliens and ghosts and we'd get a plethora of uh emails in our inbox but that was not the case or it so also, we thought it also makes me feel like i'm crazy because then it's like really i'm the only one that believes in aliens i ghosts? mean you're not the only one there's like entire shows dedicated to these topics so you're not the only one okay anywho we thought that we had only received that one story but we were wrong a longtime friend of the pod and artist ash badwoods 
reached out to us over IG after episode 15 and was like, hey, I sent you an email. I'm shocked and appalled that you did not read uh, mine on on air. And I was like... I believe the words that they used were like, they said, I am aghast or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, well, how could this be? I managed the email. I know that we haven't really received anything in a long time. So it turns out that we were having trouble accessing our email. So it hadn't refreshed for a long time. Did we get hacked? Did we technically I don't think we got hacked. I don't know. There's something wrong with, like, you know, sometimes when you um, enter a new password and then oh yeah, all that kind of yeah. stuff happens. So, in Ash reaching out to us, we found out that we were having these technical issues. But, long story short, the crisis has been resolved. And we will now be reading their story on the air for all of you little trash babies. Woo! I'll be reading this one this time. Bear with me. I don't have the soulful voice that Damien has when reading. There's no title, but I figure we'll just jump right on into it and see. Many paranormal investigators have been looking into the psychic nature of alien abductions. Some go as far as saying that all alien abductions and paranormal experiences are of a similar collective psychic phenomenon, meaning that UFOs, abductions, and encounters happen in a mental space. My experience falls into this possible category of not so tangible, parentheses sounds like bullshit, but genuinely terrifying to me. I woke up one night, or at least I think I did, to the sound of a marble rolling on the ground. I got up, out of bed, and went into my living room to investigate. I was dead certain it was the sound of my cat knocking a marble around the floor, and my goal was to find the marble and get back to sleep. I was half asleep, so it took me a second to remember that we don't own any marbles. I looked to the couch, and my cat was sound asleep. But the sound persisted. It was getting louder and louder until it felt like the marble was rolling around inside of my skull. Then I saw the marble, but in my head. I was suddenly dreaming again, not standing in the living room anymore. I could see a small metal ball rolling in a metal funnel, making that strange whirring, thrashing sound. It was all I could hear. I felt like I was laying flat, like I couldn't move. There were bright lights flashing in tandem with the overwhelming marble sound, and I could see movement around me. Shadows of people beside me also laying down. But the sound was the worst part. It hurt my head and my neck. It felt like the sound was paralyzing me. I tried to scream, but I couldn't. The rolling, thrashing uniform, whirring sound intensified until I felt my skull crack. The pain stopped. Then the whirring started to slow and became less intense. I took on a different form, still a whirring, thrashing sound, but something more familiar. The sound of the small fan in my bedroom. I opened my eyes to the pitch black of my room, but I was still so confused. How did I get back into bed? I felt for my partner. They were sound asleep beside me. I just sat there, kind of mad and shocked, kind of terrified, unsure if I was awake or still dreaming. I was afraid to move for a good five minutes before I shook my partner awake and told them that I was just either abducted by aliens or had a stroke in my sleep. I probably gotten, okay, I'm going back to bed, and rightfully so. A lot of skeptics will say that it was just a nightmare or sleep paralysis, 
but I have went through sleep paralysis many times, and this was very different. I have been taught from a young age to believe in the power of dreaming. That is a way for the people, the great mystery and spirits, or trans-dimensional beings, to communicate with each other in extreme obtuse ways. I've tried to replicate the sound, and aside from rolling a bead or marble in a funnel, the closest I can get is making circular motions on a hard surface with a hard object. I have since become well acquainted with the case of Jeff, the talking mongoose. I won't get too into it as this email is already too long, but Jeff was a paranormal being of some sort. Most people say poltergeist, but I think it's a thought form energy, ghost or tulpa. And the man who was closest to Jeff had said, has said, that Jeff, that Jeff's appearances were often accompanied by thrashing or whirring sounds that he only heard one other time, which is when he would stand near two women in town who were known witches. I am very into all things paranormal, but I can assure you I had no prior knowledge that there is a pattern or strange whirring thrashing sounds that accompany paranormal events before this experience. I thought the story tied into some of the shit that you guys have already talked about on the show. Sorry for the long email. I have a lot of ghost stories. Ash Badwoods. It's a spooky one. Spooky! I like it. I mean... That's I, it. Sorry. Yeah. Should I go? Or should you go? I know Ash is very well versed in the uh, like paranormal, alien mystical arts mm -hmm. so that's a, that's a good story i like it yeah i think we never really discussed that concept in our other emails and i think it's a very interesting thought being abducted but it's being a mostly mental experience as opposed to like you physically being like beamed up yeah into like a ufo ship yeah if anything i think that that might even be more plausible you know? Yeah, I can see that. I th I think that um, I mean, what Ash touched on a little bit in the letter that they sent was that there are people that also believe that whether it's like Bigfoot, ghosts, aliens, like they are all sort of interconnected as maybe being part of the same like web of uh, <clears throat> of the supernatural. You know, so it might not necessarily be like. Oh, ghosts are like their own thing, and aliens are beings from another planet. Like everything, possibly like stems from the same place. Yeah, stems from the same place. But it's just or human beings trying to explain right. it that kind of gives it different yeah. uh, meanings and connotations. Like all these things kind of affect each other and have to do with one another. Mm -hmm. You know. No, I'm really grateful for them to to share that story because it is it a per it's a personal story. The yeah. one that we read in the past was personal as well, and. Um, but I think that, you know, this was an experience that they had in their own mind yeah. and it's very scary to experience it yourself. So yeah. I was, I'm glad that they were brave enough to write it and I hope we get more emails from yeah, that was awesome. Thanks. everybody. Thanks Thank for the letters, you. Woo. So, woo! <laughs> so speaking of ghost stories, today's yeah. episode, we will be discussing Candyman, or the 2021 Nia DaCosta film, Candyman. Yes, sir. Um, it might be a little bit late, but it's spooky season, and we wanted to discuss this film. I think we have a lot 
to talk about when it comes to this particular film and its predecessor. Exactly. And we're approaching spooky season, so even if you've seen the movie a long time ago, um, it may seem old news to y'all, I still think it's fresh. The movie didn't come out that long ago. Yeah, I know, but usually, like, these kind of reviews, like, they'll come out within a week of the movie's release to keep, you know, um, you know what? in line with what's, you know like, what? the newest. We're not like other podcasts. No. We're, we're, we're more better late than never kind of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it's also important to note that uh, we went to go see Candyman in the theaters, which is how I think is the best way to see a movie like this. Yeah, um, we're jumping back into the movie theater game. We've seen three movies in the theater thus far. The first being uh, The Green Knight. Those, yeah, after um, a year and a half. Yeah, and it was kind of like... I know we're not talking about the Green Knight, but it was it was weird to go to the movie theater that day. Like I felt a bit of anxiety, like being in a room with a bunch of people. And at least in New York, there's no regulation on like uh, social distancing in the theater. Yeah. Um. So it's not like oh, you buy tickets and then people can't buy tickets within like a seat or two of you. Like they can just sit right next sit to right you. next to you. And the particular theater that we went to for uh, Green Knight, it was assigned seating. And also, since we're like, we are in America, America, when you go to these theaters, you're like, all right, I don't want to catch COVID. But then the number two thought is, okay, is somebody going to bust into this theater with a machine gun? So that's the second anxiety I have going to theaters. Really? Yeah. I thought it was just... Because <laughs> it's like, now that... Like I was more anxious because open. I was like, "Oh, people don't know how to act in theaters anymore. Damon's gonna have to become the shusher again." Well, that too. I lost it a little bit. I think I got a little bit nervous when people behind us started talking. I was like, "I, I haven't been in this situation for so long." Yeah, that's what I think was. I felt like a boxer was, that hasn't trained in a while. I was like yeah. a little. There was this one older couple that was sitting behind us, and I don't think they were. I don't think they knew what they were getting into when when it became when it came to this movie, The Green Knight. But they were definitely talking all through the trailers and like shit talking all no like no matter what the trailer was about whether it was like for like fucking the new vin diesel movie or um like that fucking uh what was it reminiscence with hugh Hugh jackman Jackman. like no matter what the theme of the movie was they were not impressed by nothing right but i give them that i give you like you're allowed to talk throughout the previews yeah yeah previews are fair game but, but then so green knight not to sound douchey was like an art piece Yes. It's not it's it's not like a Marvel movie. It's not like there's no three yeah. act structure, whatever. I liked it, but I think people maybe went into it hearing like, oh, there's gonna be night shit, expecting sword fights and like none of that. Whatever. It can be a little bit obtuse and uh, not hard to follow, but it, it drags a little bit and it takes a lot of uh it's an experience. It's more of like a beautiful Which art. Which you have piece. to be quiet for. Right. And the people behind us were just like why is it taking so long? <laughs> Can he just go? <laughs> What's that thing? What's that guy going to do? Yeah, and I was like, I was anxious because I was like, oh, great. Like, first time back at the theater and Damon's going to have to lay down the law and, like, shush people as discussed in one of our episodes last season. I have to get back into it. You yeah. know what I have to do to, like, get my training back up? What? I have to go to a theater and, like, maybe yell at people that don't speak English so they can't, like, yell back at me. What if they speak Spanish? You speak I have Spanish. to no, because that's what you have to do. I have to either go yell at Chinese people or Mexican teenagers in the theater. Mexican teenagers can speak Spanish. Get, and English. I don't care. I don't listen. I'm just. That's I'm what just I have saying, to do to 
right, but that that's fine. I can I can they're my sparring partners. It's fine. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So that that's what I have to do. But luckily, we haven't had to deal with that because we and they went left. To go they ended up leaving. Oh yeah, they ended up leaving. We haven't had to deal with that because then we went to go see Candyman, and that experience was lovely. There was no talking. Everybody was respectful. Everybody was fully immersed in the film, mm -hmm. which we'll discuss in a second. And then our third movie experience was Shang Chi and the Ten Rings, and that experience was okay. Yeah. However, yeah. we went to a theater in the middle of nowhere, like a small it wasn't independent in the theater. Of Small independent theater, like not in a city, like in a small town yeah. in Long Island. Right. Yes. Yeah. I'll give and you that. And so. Go on. We sat down. We were the only people in the theater when we got there. This and is... we were like, oh, this is going to be great. Like, okay. Like, we're not going to expect a lot of people. So we can, we'll can we sit wherever we want. Like a perfect spot in the middle. Right. And then. Did you mention this is a theater from like 1930? No. But it's theater from 1930. Small town. Right. Independent theater. I feel like that kind of sets the the the, the tale. Yeah, okay, all right. Sets the scene. You know more. Um, and then Damien went to the bathroom as he typically does when he gets into a theater. He has to see his seat and then be like, "Oh, actually, now I'm gonna go to the bathroom." So he left me alone. And then people start to trickle in. And then when he came back from the bathroom, like people were being respectful. Like the few people that came in is like, "Oh, we're you know, COVID, respect, respect. We're gonna like sit wherever, but like far away from each other." Tell me how this family came up right behind us and sat the aisle right behind us. Like, not even two aisles behind us, not a couple seats away from us in the Satan, like the aisle behind us, like right behind us. Yeah. And I felt, I felt attacked. The theater itself was tiny. Yeah, the theater itself was tiny, but there was plenty of space for them to sit I know. anywhere. And so I didn't only, feel comfortable, yeah. so I had to wear my mask the entire time. Well, I asked if you wanted to move and you didn't want to move. Yeah, because like we were there first. We would we have been closer first. to the screen anyway. I know. I'm standing my ground. Yeah. You're very brave. Thank you. But anyway. So, the, yeah. that Movie theaters. Me. That did irritate me. I, I know you were irritated. That fucking... I was just talking about my irritation. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know it was all about you. <laughs> well, you were talking about your irritation with the shushing. So, I was going to say, like, I, this is the first time I've had, like, a legitimate gripe at a movie theater. Do you think it was because they were, like, French? Um, I don't know. Like, I would hope, give a fuck, I'm not gonna like, like base it off of like where you are. Be, let's be real, right? Like nobody's racist here on this podcast. But like you can say whatever you want about the French. It's fine. You could say whatever. No, you want I don't have any gripe with the French. I don't think it's about. I just think it's about like being oblivious again. Like stupid people doing stupid shit. Like yeah, okay, we're at the movies now and things are getting a little bit better. And you may or may not be vaccinated. I don't know, but it's like. There is plenty of space in this theater. There's maybe at most 10 people in this theater right now. Mm -hmm. I think that's a you generous number, too. I think there was only three groups of people. I think it was us, the people behind me, and then there was, like, a couple that was way on the other side. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you could have sat anywhere, and you made the deliberate choice mm -hmm. to sit right behind us. Like, just, like, even I would have been fine if it would have been, like, one, like, with one aisle between us. Yeah. But I just feel like, really, it, during a pandemic, bro? Yeah inconsiderate yeah i agree the movie was fun though the movie was fun but was we're not a, here to talk about shang chi and the ten ring featuring <laughs> aquafina <laughs> what featuring aquafina featuring aquafina i like aquafina um aquafina's bae she's got a giant mouth and i feel like she has like a big butt she looks like a character from attack on titan no her mouth is enormous that's not nice I'm not saying it's nice or not. I'm not trying. I mean, what you attracted to characters from Attack on Titan? <laughs> Maybe you don't know. Oh, okay. 
Well, since I can't compete with that, <laughs> let's discuss Candyman. Candyman. Um, I think we should start starring Terrence Howard as Candyman. <laughs> oh my god! They call me Candyman. <laughs> I just hear this music in my mind. I just, I just gotta put. <laughs> I go in the studio. <laughs> oh my god, they should make a spoof movie with Terrence Howard as Candyman. Candy? I would fucking watch Terrence that. Terrence Howard is a spoof of Terrence Howard. Like he's just That's such a, true. He's such a clownish individual. That's very, very true. How's he Candyman? Candyman. Candyman. They call me Candyman, man. Because I'm so sweet. So, in talking about this film, I think we should definitely just like remind the people who may or may not have seen... Uh, the original, like, what that was all about. Because this Candyman film is a spiritual direct sequel to the first film. Um, the uh, original Candyman franchise did have three films. But we don't really talk about the other two because they weren't that great. <laughs> I never saw the, the sequels. I only saw the first one. Yeah, the second one is okay. Because it does go into the tale of Daniel Robitaille a bit further. Mm-hmm. But the third one is complete and utter shit. <laughs> right. But the original one, the Candyman starring Tony Todd, uh, was released in 1992. And it was directed by Bernard Rose, who hasn't really directed anything of note mm. since then. Yeah. <laughs> I think this was his big, at least in my opinion, this was his big movie. Um, and he had like a strong hand in this, the, the film as well, like the storytelling and choices made. I think it's important to note that this film, this Candyman, uh, was um, was based off the short story by Clive Barker called The Forbidden. And if you are into horror, you know that Clive Barker is also responsible for Hellraiser. Or was it the Telltale Heart? That's Edgar Allan Poe. No. Whoa! His, uh, his Clive Barker short story is called The Hellbound Heart. The Hellbound Heart. So you're almost there. Sorry. You know, big name in horror, Clive Barker is. Yeah. So he's been a horror daddy for a long time. Horror daddy. <laughs> the original story, The Forbidden, was actually set in Liverpool, and not good eye, mate. In the Cabrini Green <laughs> uh, neighborhood that the film was sent in was set in. So the the legend was different. The appearance of Candyman was different. He wasn't, um, you know, a black artist he he was described in the original story as like a tall lanky white man with scraggly hair and like a patchwork quilt yeah, everything, uh, jacket everything <laughs> british people are afraid of <laughs> but it did follow um a woman named he helen who was doing a thesis on graffiti weird <laughs> that focuses on the candy man legend and you know uh it's linked to recent murders in the neighborhood in liverpool Etc. 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 The original film was, like I said, it was set in Caprini Green, and it was not a story of class, a but a story of race and racial tension. And uh, in oh God, no. Wait, 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 wait. You're talking about the first one still? Talking about the first one, yeah. I don't think the first one was really a story about race per se. Would you Can not I say, say that? I feel like in. Well, what I was going to say before I was interrupted, and now I'm like having like a massive brain fart in my head, uh -huh. was that the original story set in Liverpool was about class versus this one being about race. Right. I mean, I racial tensions, yeah, gentrification, uh, ghetto. You talking about 1992's Candyman? Yes, I'm talking about 1992 Candyman. Okay. I don't, I don't think 1992's Candyman 
it had racial elements to it, but I still think that it's completely about class. The race thing, yes, does play into it a little bit. I think the second one goes more into race, like even deeper. But I think I the, think the second one definitely hammers it home, th- whereas the first one, I think, I think gracefully touched the subject. See, I, th- I thought the first one was more it was definitely more about um, economic disenfranchisement as a whole, Ooh, sort of like sort of like as its own little. Um, but economic disenfranchisement, but linked to race. I don't because think it's so. like all I, the people that are disenfranchised in the film are all people of color. But the thing is, it's only being dealt with in the microcosm of this one housing project. It's not. I mean, it doesn't really show. It, it doesn't really have like uh, white people coming in and and commenting about it, or the black people that live in those projects. It doesn't really have their interactions. With the outside world. Well, you have the character of Helen coming into the neighborhood with her, like, white savior savior bullshit, trying to understand the people there and pretend like she's empathetic to their issues and shit. So I think that... But is she empathetic? Empathetic Or is she not? I think that she thinks she is. Like, she wants so much to, like, understand, but I think there's an arrogance to it. Like, oh, I can come into this neighborhood and I can do whatever I want and I could photograph these people and I could write this thesis about these people and pretend to understand them and to care. Mm-hmm. And then she learns very quickly that she don't belong there. Right. <laughs> um, I think, I forgot what was our point. Is this about race or is this do about we ever have a point economic? Here? Yes, we do. I think, is this about uh, race or is the first film about race? And I think it totally is. All right, so I think we disagree. That's fine. We can disagree. I think there's a, a racial component in terms of like Candyman's backstory, like how he was created in the first one. Like this, you know, the whole story, which I'm sure you're going to get into, right? You're going to do a little... Well, I, was, I wasn't going to get too much into the first one. I just wanted to make some points because it is discussed in, in 2021's Ca- Candyman. Okay. It, they talk about the events right. of the first film all the time. Because Helen, her, her, her thesis or whatever the fuck she's writing it's about... It's about urban legends. It is about urban legends. So it's kind of like, I think, within this isolated community. Yeah, but honestly, though, Cabrini, Bre- Cabrini Green... Mm-hmm. As we mentioned, it's located in Chicago. Yeah. But Cabrini Green could be anywhere. It's any housing project. It's any ghetto neighborhood. I live in an area that could be considered like a Cabrini Green. I mean, obviously, this was set, what, in the 80s and, and 90s? Early early 90s, 80s? Yeah. But this area could be anywhere. So mm-hmm. it's not just the microcosm of this no, area in Cabrini I don't mean Green. that. I just any mean, ghetto. I just it's mean, any... right. I, I just think it's in the context of any area where there's poverty. I don't think there's as big of racial element to the first movie as as you think there as you think there is. That's just my opinion. I think it's way more about socioeconomic uh, uh, standings, maybe a little bit about class, because it is almost like well, I think outsiders... it's also important to say that this was also directed by a white man. So how canceled? How, no, but I'm saying like how how much, mm-hmm. and this is probably maybe reiterating your point more than mine. But how much can this person touch on the topic of race and being a minority and being disenfranchised when he himself is, has never experienced it? Right. Which would which would then will lead into our discussion about the 2021 version of Candyman. Yeah. So now we need a whole episode just for this. No, we don't. For... Oh, we want to talk about... We're going to talk about cultural appropriation right now? We could do that in another episode since we had a whole long discussion think, about this it, on our car just, ride let home. Let me just say, I think it is possible for somebody... I don't know how much I believe... In cultural appropriation, I understand certain instances where, like, okay, a motherfucker like that rapper Riff Raff, yes, whatever, he's a fucking clown. But 
I think that as long as you're an artist and you're able to have some sort of empathy for other people or understanding of where other people come from, mm -hmm. you sh you should be able to make any type of art that you want to make. I'm not saying that Bernard Rose had no business making this I'm going to slap this thing right off the wall right now. I'm not saying that Bernard Rose had no business making the Candyman film mm -hmm. because the original adaptation was not about a black person and it was not about Cabrini Green. It was his choice. Mm -hmm. As a white man, to do it. Okay. Do I think that he could fully encompass like the whole scope of like the black experience in a disenfranchised neighborhood? No, but I, do I don't not. think that's the point of that movie, though. That's almost half the movie. Candyman doesn't appear in this movie until like forty minutes in. The whole first half of the movie is about Helen going into this yeah, neighborhood. Yeah, so this little white girl slumming it, like walking through holes. Exactly, and, stuff. Yeah. and just experiencing the quote-unquote ghetto yeah. of that time. When you say ghetto, it sounds so much worse, though. What is a ghetto? I live in the fucking ghetto. Like, it's ghetto. Yeah, but that's like... That's Whatever. Like... So, I'm just saying, like, the whole first half of the movie is about that. We don't even get into the horror. We don't even meet Candyman until 40 to 45 minutes in. The first attack that she experiences is not even from... It's <laughs> not even from Candyman, but some idiot on the streets calling himself Candyman who beat her ass. Yeah. So, no, he made a choice. I think we can say... I know we have the different. Director? Yeah, the director made a choice, and he wanted to like focus on this topic. He's the director. So, is he the, who wrote the who wrote the treatment and the screenwriter? Because that's I different. believe he had a hand in that too. Let me just double check. We're gonna do that right now, live. Yeah, we talked about the Nia DaCosta one. We're gonna. This is gonna be a long episode. It's gonna be a three-hour episode, and three then after this, episode. we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about critical race theory. We're gonna talk about. <laughs> Reparations. Bernard Rose wrote the screenplay, so all right, he all made right. a choice. Easy, easy. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what you do when you're an artist. You make choices. Okay. So I just think, back to my point, is like I think it's a, it's a topic of race. I do agree with you that it may not be entirely about that, but he, Bernard Rose made a choice to make it about black people in the Cabrini Green Ghetto. It, it has a long history. Let's, I'm going to add Candyman to the Halloween watch list. Woo! Last time we watched Candyman together, though, that was an experience. Yeah, you almost left your body. <laughs> but, um... Tony Todd has an amazing... It's like the original Tony, ASMR. I think that... He's the, original, he's the originator of the Whisper song. It's not the English. <laughs> what I was going to say, before we, like, jump into the 2021 version of Candyman, I have two points. One, mm -hmm. I think that as a character... Um, Candyman is one of the only like smooth operators of like the 90, 80s to 90s slasher film genre. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you have your like Freddy Krueger's, Jason's, you know, Michael yeah. Myers. Either they talk too much like Freddy or they don't talk at all like Jason and, and uh, Michael. Yeah. But then you have this man. And like I love the choice of introducing Tony Todd as like this like almost like suave like classy sensual kind of guy almost like a Dracula but like not undead and from like fucking yeah Transylvania. <laughs> fucking Transylvania and I love that about him it almost makes him more scary because at the beginning he doesn't seem dangerous or menacing yeah there's something seductive about him like and I love that, that about like, these films there's something magnetic about him so as much as you want to. As much as you're scared of him, you're still kind of intrigued by him, and that's yeah. sort of and what you the... and you understand Helen's intrigue with him too. Yeah, like you kind of fall for him as she's sort of falling for him. Not there's not too much of like a a romance angle to it, 
but whatever hints of like i don't know seduction are there i think as an audience we feel it like they pull it off like really well yeah and like um, a siren kind of yeah and he has that voice too like helen yeah i don't do a great job i'm not tony todd yeah um yeah (laughs) i mean that whole movie's asmr every time he talks true my nipples get hard every time did you know that they had to pay him per like bee sting in that movie good that's what so it's like it was ran into his contract if he had to work with all these bees that he would get a thousand dollars for every bee sting and i think i hope he tried as he hard had as possible 23 i think he got twenty three thousand dollars because he got stung 23 times Good. wasn't there a scene where the bees are coming out of his mouth yeah he shit? had to wear a mouth guard for that yeah fuck that um but you know obviously like with anything he's you're gonna get stung no matter how much precaution is being taken yeah well so that was my first point tony todd and Candyman being like the seductive slasher I never knew I wanted in my life. Yeah. And then two, I wanted to say that I, when I saw the original Candyman, I thought that it was very interesting because it was one of the first slasher films and or horror films that was set in a suburban, not set in a suburban neighborhood, sorry, or like in the middle of the fucking woods. Yeah. Um, and I think it resonated with me because um, I also live in like a low income neighborhood that's like filled with like poverty. So you have that like fear of just like the place where you live and the people around you but then to also implement like this boogeyman figure yeah Yeah. it was like wow i felt it because that's where i'm from like i've experienced those things yeah so i think it definitely it like this movie works on so many levels it can be problematic whatever but i i really dig the first candy man for those reasons it's funny that the two clive the two big clive barker movies like sort of have that in common right both candy man and hellraiser where it's it's not like a slasher movie. It's not a ghost or it's like something in between. Yeah. You know? And I love that. Yeah, me too. That tone you don't see that tone in any other movies, especially not nowadays. Maybe that movie Nightbreed a little bit. Where there's kind of like <laughs> Sorry, that movie. <laughs> where there's where it's like, you know, it's some of it is supernatural, but then some of it there's also like a sort of like flesh and blood, very like modern day tone about it yeah i don't know but i guess it's time to now discuss the 2021 Candyman in depth Mm -hmm. um we should start off by saying that it was directed by a female director named nia da costa Mm -hmm. she is also a fabulous woman of color and a pretty good director i must say she's going to direct a marvel movie in the future what what movie is she going to direct i believe she's going to film the marvels movie so it's going to be the sequel to captain marvel that's cool so we might lose her to the disney slash marvel machine but for now i think that with this movie we were able to see what she could accomplish yeah and i think she's pretty amazing so i'm really happy to see a female doing her thing being a director and of course a female of color yes (laughs) let's go yeah in terms of directing i thought the movie was well directed and everything i agree i do agree i mean I think the problem with this movie... So should we say right out the gate that we were not thrilled <laughs> about the movie? Or? No, I mean, I liked the movie. Right. I, didn't, I didn't leave the theater upset. I felt like maybe the first two-thirds of the film were great. Maybe a little slow, but not for someone like me that watches, like, art house boring shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but for someone who's, like, coming in for, like, the car slasher genre, they might consider the movie a bit slow. Right. I think the problem with this movie was <laughs> that they had not one, not two, but three different people working on this 
script. Yeah. <laughs> so Nia DaCosta was a part of those the three people. Um, someone named Win Rose Rosenfield, who I'm not too familiar with, and then of course we have Jordan Peele also writing. Uh, and in I'm, my opinion, that's way too many cooks in the kitchen. So we're gonna have problems. I was most excited because of his involvement, Jordan Peele's. Involvement. I would say the smartest thing that they did in general mm-hmm. was reminding everybody constantly that Jordan Peele was a part of this film. Yeah, he wasn't the director or whatever, but I think. Putting his name on it, which I don't fully agree with because I want Nia DaCosta to, sh- to shine on her own. Mm. But I think putting his name on it gives everybody this sense of like, oh, it's going to be okay. Um, this remake's going to be okay because Jordan Peele has had such a success with this genre of film in the past with Get Out and with Us. Right. So I think people went into it feeling like, oh, another, you know, like yeah. reboot. I think they were like, oh, great. Cool. Let's do it. Yeah. So. I agree. I mean, maybe once you do the plot synopsis of it, I can give you my opinion. Because I had some opinions as well. I had some, I guess, preconceived notions going into it about Jordan Peele being a producer and also a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. And then when we came out the other side, <laughs> I'll let you when know. When we came out the other I'll side, let you know what happened. Were, were you battered? <laughs> Did, it, did, did the movie hurt you, Damien? It didn't hurt me, but I <laughs> definitely think it had some uh, Okay, some so um, I was going to do my own little synopsis, but in but for the sake of time, I'm just going to read to you the short story. Sorry, the short synopsis that I found online. Right, so for decades, the housing projects of Chicago's Cabrini Green was terrorized by a ghost story about a supernatural hook-handed killer. In present day, an artist begins to explore the macabre history of Candyman, not knowing it would unravel his sanity and unleash a terrifying wave of violence that puts him on a collision course with destiny. To be a bit more specific, it's about... Sorry, I let the bus pass. To be a bit more specific, it's about an artist named Anthony who's living with his uh, girlfriend, Brianna. Girlfriend slash sugar mama. Slash sugar mama, who she's an art... um, uh, what's she's the word? A, she's a curator. Yes, she's a curator. And also, she's a curator, but she almost also acts as kind of a gallery. Like she's not the owner of the gallery. So she's not a gallery. She's almost like uh, in the in the music business they call it an A and R artist representation. So mm-hmm. she's kind of responsible for bringing people to the ga- uh, artists, like sort of bringing them into the gallery system mm-hmm. and kind of um, like grooming them for their uh roles within the the once they're represented by that gallery so it's i would say curator yeah maybe yeah and they're living in the now gentrified cabrini green area right so they're living nice they're living in a like two floor apartment uh luxury condo luxury condo like everything's made of glass (laughs) like yeah they're living nice, Modern. and that's probably mostly because of Miss Brianna bringing home the dough. Because we find out very uh, early on that Mr. Anthony's not doing much Anthony's to provide f- in that relationship. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that's kind of so. The movie, I think, did a lot of things wrong. Okay, we're get jumping into it. But what I think they did right was two things in terms of like the aspect of Anthony being an artist. Maybe three things, right? <laughs> I like that it's sort of. 
there's a link between Anthony and Candyman because we haven't gotten to that part yet. Well, in the original series, in the original, uh, sh- I keep saying show. Sugar Mama. In the original, original Candyman movie, movie uh, Candyman was an artist in his time, and Anthony's an artist. So yes. I kind of like that sort of idea where you have those two parallel sort of uh, thoughts going together. Mm-hmm. I think that was interesting because it does kind of link them in some way. Uh, I think the movie did a really good job of showing what absolute rock bottom losers a lot of artists can be. <laughs> Where you know, if you know if if you know artists, a lot of times struggling artists, that is how it is. There's one partner that's sort of like working and the breadwinner, and is the baby. I'm gonna support your dream. Mm-hmm. Like I just want you to paint. Like work, f- f- fly fly your wings. Like all of this, and then the other partner that's a total fucking layabout, a fucking bum whatever and uh also it shows the weird fickle obtuse nature of the art world which i think that it got uh it it really accurately portrayed that because the art world is just it's like stepping on sand you know it's like when you're trying to jog on sand it's very like things are always changing there's a lot of even though they don't want you to think there is there's a lot of like politics involved in it you know uh i like that the it does show the art, uh, the art community's obsession with uh, identity politics and trauma porn. Like, if you're an artist of a certain background, you're kind of expected to make a certain type of artwork about a certain type of thing or issue. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that. I think that that's maybe what the movie did best. You ever see Velvet Buzzsaw? With Jake Gyllenhaal? No, 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 not Jake. Yeah, what was yeah, it no, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. I've never seen it, but. I can see the parallels between those two movies because the Velvet Buzzsaw is, from what I recall, from like it's a horrible about movie. It, it's a horrible movie, but it's about like the art world and it being like what? stupid and fickle right. and like it's making fun of the people that are involved exactly. in the world. Like I feel like it could have been the same writer writing those portions mm-hmm. of, of Candyman as Velvet Buzzsaw. I would be surprised if they didn't get somebody that has some type of professional uh, like art world background for that part of it if they either consulted with somebody or whatever because it's very accurate <laughs> it's not like in movie you know in movies you usually see it portrayed as like a bunch of assholes with uh fucking berets like you know scratching their chins and but this very much captures the now like the fucking the dirty hipsters of 2021 <laughs> so i already started off with anthony brianna uh, artist and art curator living together in mm-hmm. the now gentrified Caribbean Green right. area in Chicago. Also, social commentary there. Very much so. Uh, um, I mean, they and again, like this movie is not subtle. Yeah. In any way, shape, or form, all the like nuance that was in the 1992 version is lost in this one. Mm-hmm. They just take the hammer and beat you over the head with it, like topics of gentrification, race, like art, like, you know, torture, porn, violence. Like, it's all hand-fed to you. Yeah. And I don't like that. Me neither. So, that that's one thing about it. But, anywho, her brother comes over, tells him the story of Candyman, and Anthony's like, well, this seems interesting, and my work hasn't been really developing or changing at all they want to see something new from me so he decides that he wants to walk through cabini green some of into some of the areas that have not yet 
there's areas that are yet to be developed. Developed, that now, yes, that's the word I was looking for. That are now currently um, <laughs> sort of like gated off from the rest of the uh, yes uh, the new buildings that have gone up. Yes. It's the remnants of the projects that are like kind of um, condemned. Yes, so he decides to like walk around the area. He's taking photographs to like gain inspiration. And as he's walking through the area, he's actually taking a photo of a actually very famous church in the area. Um, and uh, I think this part of the movie is kind of significant. Um, oh, shit, I should have looked up the name of the church beforehand. Editing Jackie here. It's been a while and looks like I'm needed once again to bring you some cold hard facts. New season, same trash bit kids. Am I right? <laughs> the church Jackie is trying to refer to is the Strangers Home Missionary Baptist Church located on 627 Evergreen Avenue, near the former Cabrini Green CHA housing site. The mural, which once graced its outer and inner walls, was called the All of Mankind Mural, which was painted in 1972 by famed muralist William Walker. In the last few years, the mural was painted over in stark white and will probably be demolished to make room for more development in the area. Hope this helps. Bye. So in this version of the movie, he's taking pictures of this historic church that used to have so much like of a presence in the neighborhood. Right. And this importance of like having that mural painted on it. And now it's like all white. So any like kind of personality and like identity that the church had to the community has been taken away. It's been buffed. Yeah. So there's that uh, hammering it over the head for you guys a little bit more. Yeah. So as he's taking a picture of this uh, church. He is then stung by a bee, which is also a very significant part of the first one, as Candyman is literally made of bees. Um, and then after that, like, literally all shit just starts to go down. <laughs> he meets a laundryman played by... A laundryman? I mean, he's a laundryman named Coleman Domingo, but played by Coleman Domingo. He owns a laundromat. And I think his name is William in the, sh the movie. Yeah. And he tells him the legend of Candyman. However, we learn in this film that there's different legends. So in the original, we learn of Daniel Robitaille, who was an artist who had an interracial love affair with a white woman and was killed, was tortured and killed because of it. Yeah. In this one, we learn that there is another individual called Candyman, whose story, I think, fits the name a bit more <laughs> accurately. This shit. So kids started to find razor blades yeah. in their candy, and um, they start to look for this man in the neighborhood who we could assume has some sort of learning disability yeah. we're gonna assume and he looks ex <laughs> he's wearing like this fly coat has a hook for a hand yeah just cuz he kind of and he has like an eerie smile on his face but again we are gonna assume that he has a learning disability and, and he, he gives candy to children and they make him they, they chose an actor that kind of resembles tony todd yes which is the titular candy man mm -hmm. and in this story, which takes place in the 70s, this man has been hiding in the walls of Cabrini Green from the cops. He's hiding because they're looking for him. And he, there's a hole in the wall in that little laundromat area. And uh, a candy falls out of the wall, followed by a very, very creepy gentleman with a hook for a hand that we all assume is Candyman. Now we'll fast forward to back to Anthony, who is 
at Cabrini Green exploring and he meets Coleman Domingo's character who tells him the tale of Daniel Robitaille. He also tells him the story of Helen um, from the first film and the events that happen. Of course, the way he tells the events are a bit skewed than what they were said in the movie, in the original movie. And then he tells him that, you know, Candyman is actually a culmination of many stories. Not only the tale of Daniel Robitaille, the artist who had an interracial uh, relationship with a white woman and was tortured and killed because of it, but also of a man who lived in his neighborhood when he was a child and who was attacked and killed by police because they believed that he was giving razors, giving out candy with razors to children. So... After speaking to the laundromat guy, we find that, you know, Anthony is fully immersed in the story. He really wants to incorporate this into his art, and he does. Do you want to talk about his art piece now? <laughs> the Which first art piece? Paintings he makes? Yeah, because um, the first art pieces uh, are introduced to us uh, at the show, and they're all behind the mirror. Well, remember? they show him, right, so, like, they show him painting... Anthony is a man possessed once he hears this story. His girlfriend puts him in a show against her, kind of against her better judgment. Um, up until that point, both her and the gallerist have been telling him that he needs something new and fresh. So he decides to focus it he on. He does that. So at the show, he introduces a new piece where it's a mirror, it's a bathroom mirror installed into the wall. To sort of which also connects to the first film right well that's that's part of it is that he was told if you say Candyman five times he'll appear yeah so and he and he um you know if you've ever been to an art gallery they'll usually there's a sheet that sort of tells you the name of each piece right and who created it under his piece is like the instructions to approach the mirror and say Candyman's name five times right but then so that sort of reflects the whole that the whole process of how to uh, summon Candyman, but then you open the, the this cabinet mirror, and then behind the walls, he's actually hung the paintings behind the the mirror itself. Yeah, and it's like, I think everything's sort of like glow in the dark too. Yeah. Um. <laughs> the he meets an art critic who doesn't really respond to it very well. Um. They get into a tiny debate, I believe, at the art gallery about artists and gentrification yeah like artists are essentially parasites is yeah what it comes down to and uh he's not happy about it yeah again that exchange is very like real you know like mm -hmm. her her critiques of his painting and uh just like their exchange it's it's all just verbose and just empty you know mm -hmm. and he gets a little drunkies he gets into an altercation with a douchebag who's also uh, showcasing his art at the uh, gallery and then he goes home yeah and then we come up to our first little glimpse of Candyman doing his thing um the first two to die are the artist the, the other artist the gallerist and his assistant slash fuck buddy exactly and I think this is like in true horror movie fashion. The first people to like have sex are the first people to die. Yeah, I don't know if that was necessary in this the grand like in this film, but you know everybody must learn their lesson to to not fuck, not fuck in public. Do not fuck. Um, I thought this was the bet. Hmm, I don't know. There was three big kills, kill scenes in this film. 
I think this was the best one. I think it's because, and I think that because it's the first one. Mm-hmm. So it sort of sets the stage for what this version of Candyman is. Right. And essentially, this Candyman like almost exists in a mirror world. Yeah. So everything that's happening to them, uh, all the pain that's inflicted to them, he's not in the room with them in this scene, mm-hmm. which I thought was well done. Because like he's been like you know he you know kills the girl first then kills the guy however he does it yeah. um and you don't see him you just kind of see the results of what he's doing and then there's this long extended scene before he kills the gallerist of him walking and you can see his reflection in the mirrors in the gallery and of like him like sort of trailing his hook hand across right. a screen and the screen falling you like, only see him half. Right. like you only see him in the mirror but like lurking but his actions like it's almost like a nightmare before nightmare before elm street nightmare <laughs> on elm street situation where in what we're seeing in the physical world is kind of just the result of his actions so you just see these people kind of being thrown around flailing around but the cat, the way the camera is set up is you'll see glimpses of him in the mirror, physically doing the actions. Yes. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I thought it set it apart from the original. I think it really ties in the whole mirror aspect of it, well too. Like mm-hmm. what the importance of like saying his name in the um the mirror and like summoning him and and what that looks like. So I really liked the first kill. Yeah. I also liked the first kill because. Out of all three of the big kills, it's the only one that we get to see up close. Yeah. Which we can talk about that, I guess, later. But I think that was a cop out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the best kill. This happens. And then um, Brianna, Anthony's girlfriend, finds the bodies the next day in the gallery. And it becomes like this big news story, which was one of the funniest scenes in the whole thing to me because remember like they're watching the news story and anthony is staring at the tv smiling at like these people he knew personally being butchered and he was smiling like a little idiot because they said the name of his piece and they said his name on tv yeah they mentioned that he (laughs) that they were murdered in front of one of his pieces so he gets super hype about it yeah which again i'm famous now (laughs) meanwhile his like brother-in-law and his girlfriend are looking at him like what the fuck is wrong with you (laughs) the doofy like look on his fucking face made me laugh out loud in the theater so that was funny yeah no that was was good um so yeah he continues and now because this event happened all of a sudden people are very interested in his work including the gallery artist that originally like hated him you mean the critic <laughs> the, sorry yes sorry the, the gallery critic hated him at the yeah. beginning and all of a sudden she wants to talk to him one-on-one about his piece about everything that's happened um so he goes and visits her home mm-hmm. <laughs> And they basically have another debate about the the value of his work, about the story about Cabrini Green and Candyman and everything. And I think they kind of got into another argument, right? They don't see eye to eye. Yeah, on, on because I think he fully realizes at that point that she's definitely trying to um, 
uh, was it make money or take advantage of the fact that now he's famous because of what happened and not, not he's she he's she's not interested in his work she's more interested in like the fame and the media spectacle yeah. and all that kind of stuff um and i think he's he's privy to it and he's not so excited about it at least coming from her <laughs> so at some point he dares her he's like you know, I think you should like, you know, try it, try it out. You should go say Candyman in the mirror five times and see what happens. <laughs> and, this, and the stupid hoe does it. Um, but well, we don't know, right? Because doesn't she go to the bathroom? And you, for well, something? She, you have to she, assume that she, she goes does to the, it, right? But yeah, you have to assume that she does it because what happens is she goes to the bathroom and she's missing for quite some time, and he goes to sort of be like, "Hey, are you okay?" And he finds himself in front of the mirror, and for the first time, he's seeing Candyman. And he's seeing Candyman's reflection as his own. So sort of alluding to what's already sort of happening. Right. And then she, like, opens the bathroom door, which was, like, the first little, like, corner of the eye, little scare. Little glimpse, yeah. Yeah, so uh, you can see Candyman right in the corner of uh the bathroom mirror that's behind her so that's spooky spooky and and then you think okay everything's okay and then as uh anthony leaves the apartment um we are we pull out to the outside of the apartment and we watch the art critic get like dragged around her apartment like a little rag doll again you don't see Candyman; just the result of his actions right and he he slays her. He. <laughs> it's an interesting shot pulling away and you're seeing like everything else happening in the apartments around her because it's like all glass, like, you know, uncurtained windows, which I don't know what the big whoop is about having apartments with no <laughs> curtains, but okay, here we go. And everybody's like going about their day and this woman's like getting murdered. Looks like an ant colony or something. Yeah. Um, and then after this, Anthony's already sort of going crazy. He's like fully engulfing himself into the story. It's like sort of possessing him in a way. And now even his girlfriend is starting to get attention from, you know, other like galleries and museums that want to bring her on, but solely because she's representing Anthony and, you know, the media spectacle around his work and not for her own merit, because she's actually a very smart, intelligent human being. <laughs> um, so then she... What else happens after that? Um, well, she tries oh, to get po- we yeah. should talk about his fucked up hand. Yeah. He had that beast thing that I mentioned at the beginning that he gets while exploring Cabrini. And then um, it's slowly starting to like decay away at his hand. Like At first it's just a bug bite. And this motherfucker keeps messing with it. <laughs> Throughout the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, as he as the movie progresses, it keeps getting worse. Mm-hmm. Getting infected, she starts falling and he's off. Picking at it. Ugh, yeah. I hate that kind of body horror. Stop it. I think at this point he has to go to the doctor for it, right? Does he go to the doctor for that? Yeah, he goes that, that's when he discovers um his lineage. Oh yeah. We've decided to talk about the third kill now. Which, (laughs) (laughs) okay, we have uh, a young girl, uh, like a student of a was it like a fancy school, like a prep school or something? It's like a yeah. And um, she had been at the gallery 
to view Anthony's original piece. She's a little whore. Huh? She's a little whore. <laughs> and so she had the paper explaining like the whole uh you know, reason behind the piece and how to summon Candyman. So as most teenagers do, they thought it'd be fun to like wrangle her friends into doing this in the school bathroom of all fucking places. Yeah. And it's really funny because there's like one Asian girl in the front group, and like after their third candy man, she was like, fuck this, and she yeah, like she, left. She pieces out. <laughs> this is a scene that you can see in the trailer. Um, so the Asian girl pieces out, and they continue to summon Candyman. And this poor girl who's clearly not having a good day, and who's clearly like the victim of some kind of like bullying, yeah. a black girl walks in. Goes to hide in a bathroom well, stall. She, she comes in after they do the camera. Yeah, yeah. Ritual. She comes in. That's what I mean. She, she comes in and she's like hiding in the bathroom stall because she doesn't want to see these Well, they harass her too. Yeah. Like they start kicking in the door and they're like, what are you doing here? I think they also hinted that it's maybe a little bit like racially motivated because the girl is like a little black punk rock girl. Yeah. Um, and then since she's hiding in the stall, all of a sudden Candyman shows up. Or does he show up? No, she murders everybody at the end. <laughs> you never see him. That's true. And again, this is why we're going to discuss... After this kill, we're going to discuss this whole... Uh, really? This whole uh, yeah. directorial choice. Yeah. Um, but during this scene, each girl gets picked off in the bathroom one by one. But we're only seeing everything from the perspective of the girl trapped in the bathroom stall. Yeah. Which means we see fucking nothing. You don't see any of his kills. Yeah. Like, except for the first one and then the R critic. Mm hmm. This is the biggest slap in the face, though, because yeah. there's like Everybody's four girls. Everybody's fucking waiting for this. You have four girls that's like, okay, can't, he's really going to have some fun murdering his little white girls, and then nothing happens. Like, you never see it. Yeah, we, we have one shot of like a, a, a compact mirror op falling to the floor and opening, and you see like his feet kind of floating around, and you hear the screams, and you see the blood and the horror on the. Uh, girl's face in the bathroom stall but you don't see the kills and this is one of my biggest fucking gripes with this movie and something that I think that's worthy of debate between you and I um, because I'm not huge into torture porn I'm not huge into like extreme violence but I think that it was a complete and total cop out at least in this film to not show any of the violence as being inflicted upon the white individuals in this film Everything is done from afar. Like, we have the scene with the art critic, and she's dying, and they're pulling away right, to the from point, it. To the point you where can't even, it's like a drone. I'm pretty sure it's a drone, a drone shot yeah. where it's so far away that you can just barely see her kind of getting yeah, killed. Yeah, which you know? I think is a complete disconnect. And then you have this scene, which is in the trailers, and it's it would be his biggest kill yet. If this was a fucking kill count, this would be it, you know? Yeah. And we see nothing. And I think that that's complete bullshit, especially considering that this film is discussing the violence inflicted upon black people and black pain and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, we can see all of this bad stuff being happening that's happening to the black folk in the movie or throughout any film ever. But then, like, well, you know, because remember I brought up the point of Antebellum? that movie yeah but not here on the podcast yeah i know but i'm just saying i'm gonna talk about it again okay but like in that movie in the first three minutes were so horrifically violent and they're depicting like the horrors of slavery yeah 
But then, and it made me feel extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. For the rest of the film, I will say. And then this, and it's just like, oh, we can see that. We can see these black lives being like, you think it's because fucking terrorized and like nip, like whatever. And then using it again in this film for whatever the reasons are. Mm -hmm. But then, like every time a white person is killed, except for maybe the first kill, you don't get to watch it happen. So it becomes almost insignificant. Right. And I think that's fucked up. What do you you think? think? You think the third kill is because they were children and they were maybe like. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Because they're high school girls. So, I every, think that, every horror slasher film I think it's made in the eighties is allegedly teenagers being hacked and slashed. Freddy Krueger. Yeah, but things have changed now. Now you can't show. I don't know. If like they, that if movie, they had done it, Halloween. if they hadn't done it with the art critic, and we got to see that up close and personal, I wouldn't have as strong as opinion about it, and I would have like maybe forgiven. The whole, like, not seeing the four girls being killed in the bathroom. And I would have maybe agreed with your point of them being children and not wanting to depict it. But they already may have made the conscious choice to do this. Yeah, but see, that's the thing. Is, like, you could have made them college girls. And then after that, it's like, oh, fuck it. Yeah, show them getting their fucking throats slit open. That's true. I don't know. Choice. It was a weird choice. I'm not for, like... I mean, I do like gore and, like, excessive shit in horror movies. But, like, give me something. Like, you showed nothing, you yeah. know, up until this point. And again, you led with the gallerist getting slid open, that bitch getting, you know, dragged across the floor, hooked through the fucking foot, all this stuff. I don't know. I don't know what the what the purpose of holding back yeah. was, you know. Especially because in the first Candyman, whatever violence that took place between any of the characters, like, you were in it. Like, you were right there. Yeah. Like, I, I, f- I think one of the most poignant scenes in the first nine- Candyman, a- a.k.a. the 1992 Candyman, was when Helen's at the mental hospital and she's talking to the guy in the office who's trying to like figure out whether or not she's the killer and then fucking Candyman like sticks his hook in from behind him and you see like all of that. Yeah. Keep more of that. Yeah. This movie I agree. was too busy talking about art and like well, yeah. all this like gentrification is bad or is it? Are artists moochers? Like yeah, well fuck it, we get it. Yeah. Can you show me the violence? Cool girls. Anthony goes to the hospital. I think it's also important to note that for all these kills, save the uh, high school girls, that it's the kills are done so that every time somebody's murdered, like Anthony has just been there or something like that. Well, he's linked to it in some way because right. obviously he he has no link to the girls in the school other than the fact that the girl had attended the show at Right. Some point. So the gallerist, he had a fight with the gallerist before he left. He ends up dead. The uh, uh, art critic, he was in her house for an interview, has a disagreement with her, has a little piff with her. She ends up dead. So it's almost setting you up to be like, oh, I get it. This 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 guy is being... Almost, he's gonna end up being a scapegoat for all these murders. Yes, which is what, it, which also is mirrored in message, <laughs> which is mirrored by the first film where Helen becomes a scapegoat for whatever Candyman has been doing. Right. Anthony's hand is fucked up. It is gnarly. So he goes to the hospital in Cabrini Green to figure out what the fuck he can do to fix his arm. I'm yeah. almost done. Yeah. He goes to the hospital and the nurse says to him, "Welcome back." He's like, what the fuck you talking about? Welcome back. I've never been to this hospital before. She's like, actually, motherfucker, you were born here. Yeah. 
So welcome back to Cabrini Green. Uh-huh, you're home. So then he says, oh, hell no. I'm going to go visit my mama because she lied to me and told me we were born on the other side on of the, the south, city. No, north on the side. south side. The People in Chicago side. love their sides. It's always north side, <laughs> south side. I don't fucking... And I rep that till I fucking die. Kanye West lyric. Yeah. Um. So he Did goes you to visit to the his... Donda album. No, I didn't. Me neither. Okay. Let <laughs> me establish that. <laughs> so he goes and visits his mom, who is surprised. It's Vanessa. It's Kanye West. <laughs> Actually, it's Donda West they back fucking, from the dead. You know, yeah, they turned her into a Tupac-like Pepper's ghost. Um, what is that called? I don't know. Uh, uh, hologram. Hologram. It's a hologram of Donda West, of Doctor Donda West. <laughs> Actually, it's Vanessa E. Williams who was actually in the first film. And it turns out that Anthony is the little baby from the first film who gets captured by Candyman and is now fated to return to Gabrini Green. It's a twist, bro. Also, his mom, played by Vanessa E. Williams, it's like she hasn't aged a day. She's still beautiful and luscious and gorgeous. What the fuck, bro? I wasn't sure if it was the same actress. It was. She's amazing. And honestly, I think she had one of the best parts in this film. Like, when she had, like, maybe four lines, and it's just her explaining what happened and how, like, everybody was supposed to, like, keep the secret and never summon Candyman again. And I felt, like, the terror in her. Like, the way she was speaking, like, it was beautifully done. I, I feel like we should have had more of her, but God, we don't. We have to explain that, too. What? Oh, yeah, so she explains that. Why? Because <laughs> you interrupted like, me. How do, we do, like, how do these fucking podcasts do this shit? People that review movies? Because they plan, Damien. They plan. We don't Look plan. at my notes. My notes are more extensive than yours. I, so. Yeah. We need Anthony to, we finds out that Welcome he was to season the baby. Two. Welcome to season two. <laughs> Nothing's changed. <laughs> Anthony's mom tells him that they used to live in the Cabrini Green projects and that he was captured by Candyman. One time he and was that a baby. Helen <laughs> Helen actually <laughs> saved his life, saved him from the fires, and Burned saved him from Candyman. And then as a community, they promised each other that they would never summon Candyman again so that they could protect the people of which, the area. Which, in the words of Chicago legend Chief Keef, that's that shit he don't like. <laughs> and Because Candyman thrives on fear. Did we say this? He doesn't thrive he... on fear. He just thrives on being like a legend. His story being told. That's... Passed around from person to person. And I guess fear would happen. But it's not like fucking, you know, Pennywise the Clown where he feeds off fear. It's more about... He even says it in the movie. He says, tell my story. He doesn't say, you know, tell where, him I'm the boogeyman, whatever. It's just yeah. about spreading the tale. Keeping it on the like the minds and mouths of the people in the area. It just happens to be a spooky tale, but he doesn't he doesn't say outright that it's about fear. I think it's implied. Well, I don't think it is, but Anthony's now horrified. He's like, <laughs> oh man, I'm this baby. I'm connected to this Candyman story and, fo- and urban legend in a way that I cannot fathom. Cut to Brianna looking for him, even though she's scared of him. We didn't talk about their falling out. They had a falling out. He's crazy. Because he was acting like a fucking yeah, lunatic. Yeah, she, she was like, Candyman's not real. And then he threw a pot at her or something. Was he it just, a pot? He threw something at her. In, and in the br- studio? Yeah, he was in the studio and he threw something. And as I think any 
black woman and or woman of color would do in this situation. She <laughs> or said, any woman. She a human, said, how about a human she being? She said, oh, hell no. You will not be throwing things in this apartment that I pay for. You fucking That's homeless too, artist. Like, he, doesn't, he doesn't pay any bills. <laughs> and she said, I'm out. And yeah. she goes to her brother's house. What? Yeah. And then the next day she's like, I'm going to go get my things. And then it turns out he's like not Did in the apartment. Did we ever talk about his little hat? <laughs> his little artist hat? His little Carhartt. You know when like artists wear little Carhartt hats and it just looks like a little unrolled condom and they just pl- place it right I mean, on the head? I think that his outfit... We need to do a, a post yeah, afterwards. Yeah. We, we could talk all about all this bullshit. I think that uh, Anthony, um, his... The, the actor who plays him, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but it's I think it's Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. Sure, sure. He is brolic. Like, he is a tall, like, muscly dude. Yeah. And they put him in this tiny Carhartt hat with his, like, Converse and his like high a, water like pants. He looks like a smelly hit. Yeah, they dress him <laughs> with his arms, like, exploding out of his yeah, tiny little shirt. Yeah, and it's like, what? Rolled up jeans. You know fucked up stu- that he would be... Like like a white gentrifier, he would be like their quote unquote black friend. True. Like that's what he comes off as in this movie. True, very true. Because they teeter between like both worlds. Like they don't exactly fit into like the like Cabrini Green ghetto community, but they don't really fit into like the, the ghetto community. The white yeah. gentrified community. That's the new name of this podcast. Ghetto community. The ghetto community. All right. So Brianna goes back to the you apartment, and Anthony's not there, uh-huh. and so she's like. Oh my god, where is he? I hope he's not dead or whatever, going crazy. And then she finds a pen on the fucking kitchen table with the name of the laundromat. How convenient. Where William works, and she recalls that William was the one telling him all the stories about fucking Candyman. So this bitch goes to the laundromat, and she has been kidnapped by the laundryman, William, aka Coleman Domingo, aka Smooth Jazz Voice Man. And he has also, I guess, kidnapped Anthony, who's sitting almost lifeless on a chair He's at the altar. In a stupor. Yeah, his almost his whole face is now covered in that like scab, like putrefied skin from his bug bite that's like I guess traveled all the way up his arm. And now William has it in his fucking head that like. They have to bring Candyman back so it could protect the people of Cabrini Green and get rid of all these fucking white people, make people scared of them again, make this people scared little, of Candyman. To me, this was a little. And bit... this is where shit gets stupid. Yeah, just that part. I mean, but this is this is the point where we were all like, "What the fuck is happening?" I, here? This was the most convoluted thing. Yeah. So that has ever existed, William... probably recognizes Anthony as being the original baby who was kidnapped by Candyman. And he's like, oh, how fortuitous. This must be fate. You must be meant to be the new Candyman. You're going to take on the role. You're going to add to the legend. And he fucking cuts his hand hand off, sticks a hook in it, and also just happens to have a pimp coat on him too. Yeah. Um. And then yeah, lays it over seat. fucking what Anthony's shoulders. Right. What I didn't understand about this, this, this is the thing that it, that that to me was like, all right, there's too many people writing this fucking script. They never made it clear. Is William? William is clearly was clearly part of this group of people that Anthony's mother was a part of, where they sort of all agreed to never speak of Candyman again. Yeah, but he clearly doesn't believe. That. <laughs> right so it, it almost seems this almost seems you know what it, i think would have been worked better 
I think it would have worked better if maybe behind the scenes it was revealed like maybe there's almost like a cult or a community. Okay, first of all, that's what I said. No, you didn't say when that. I, when we first watched the movie and we were talking about that. it in the car, I said it would have made more sense if there was a cult behind I it. I think I said this. I said it. I think you're fucking I lying. said it. I don't think you're taking this. my ideas, man. I was like, no. remember? Because remember, I did that thing where because I was like, it, oh my god, if I rewrote the movie. This is what it would be, and I said that. I don't remember things. When, <laughs> when, when, because it almost seems like, like this the is cult of like Candy this is very Ooh, That's the name of the sequel, Cult of Candyman. Yeah, the crazy cult of Car- Candyman, KKK. <laughs> Jesus so, listen, it seemed almost it, it seemed very ceremonial, and it was like almost like a sacrifice, and there was a lot of like uh, regimented the way he did this. So for one person to be acting alone. It seemed a little weird. Like, this guy yeah, had sort of built his own, like, little belief system around what Candyman was, what Candyman's powers are, how much power people give Candyman. Mm-hmm. So it seems strange that it's this one guy that... Yeah, is... I, I agree with you. And I originally had said, before I mentioned the whole cult thing to you, was I'm I think that we did not need the story of the uh, man who was murdered for allegedly giving kids razor blades in their candy. I don't think that was necessary. They tied in the original 1992 film so hard. They could have easily just made William's character into the little boy who guides Helen throughout the first film. And who witnesses what happens at the bonfire with the baby. Who witnesses everything. Who throws the hook hand onto the grave at the end of the film. They could have easily made William that character, and it would have made so much more sense, his involvement, his understanding of it, everything True. in this movie. We didn't need this new character, this new story. They just wanted to, like, again, pile drive in home that, like, the character of Candyman could be any man, could be any black man who has been victimized, who has been killed and murdered just because of the color of his skin so so that's why they showed you especially through the puppetry that we haven't even discussed by i think manuel cinema that you know the 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 figure of Candyman is just any man who's been uh victimized yeah i i wasn't crazy about that and so again we didn't need william's story of him you know witnessing the death of this or being the cause of the death of like the razor blade uh character at the beginning um I think if it would have been the little kid from the first film, it would have made more sense. It would have made more sense why he understood the story so much, you know. And, like, he was a kid who witnessed all this fuckery. It would have made sense why he became, like, a crazy person. But they're adding all this, like, fluff story. And, again, that's where, like, three fucking writers becoming a problem comes into play. Because then it doesn't make sense at the end. They're not all driving towards the same goal here. Well, I think what it is in terms of the screenplay is that... It's easier for two people. It's 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 easier to reach a compromise between two people than three people because I think. Is it? I think so. For two people, (laughs) yeah, because I feel like it could be like, all right, you can compromise easier. Or do rock paper scissors between two people? That's it. Right, but once you have that third person, now that's that's three people that you have to sort of come to an agreement with. Yeah. That's I think is just harder. Yeah. For everybody to sort of be happy. True. You know. And I think that this also movies this movie also suffered a lot because it was being made by in a time where this subject matter was a topic widely discussed. 
because of everything happening with George Floyd at the time and all that. So I think that I think the script might have changed a lot due to those events and the way uh, we were dealing with it in the United States, at least at the time. Right. So I think that's a big factor. Either way, the film... He puts the hook... We, we... Yeah, so the, the, in the film, he puts the hook on the hand, right. puts the pimp coat on Anthony. Yeah, where did he just <laughs> get a fur coat? Fucking... I mean, he. I guess he worked on a laundromat, so some pimp had to have forgotten his coat I like the, at the laundry. I like the point. idea that he's like this murderous fucking weirdo psychopath. Yeah. But he's still like... You know, oh, well, this is over 30 days. I get to keep this. Like, he still has, he still has a code. Like, I picture him just in the laundromat, kind of just like, oh, this is going to be the perfect Candyman coat. And he's just praying the guy doesn't come in and, like, reclaim it. Or maybe it. he killed the guy who owned the coat originally. Could be. You never know. I think it's funnier just him, like, watching the calendar, like, okay, it's been 28 days. Crosses it. Oh, it's 29 <laughs> days. Oh, and then finally on the 30th day, he's like, ah, I can use my brain. And then, like, Anthony walks in the door. Yeah. It's um, happening. <clears throat> I kind of forget what happens, but I know he calls the cops because he definitely wants the cops to come and kill Anthony to be like a martyr. Again, how does he know that they're not just going to kill Anthony and, oh, well, he's just dead? How did he know that Anthony's <clears throat> going to be resurrected, whatever, unless he knows that they're like... Well, because they're already unquote, looking for him because of but, all the other shit that happened. But the, the, see, this is an interesting thing, too. Again, ceremonial. Again, we didn't get into this too much, but you mentioned it. The idea of Candyman... Candyman is is the energy. Candyman is the symptom of racism against black people in this movie. Yes. So, like you've mentioned, they make it very clear that the Candyman that we know mm-hmm. was possibly the first person in that area to have been lynched or something. He's yes, kind of Daniel one, Robitaille. Right. He's sort, of, he's sort of the first domino, and with his death... This area has this fucked up energy mm-hmm. that somehow absorbs all of the racist murders or injustices faced by black people. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what gives Candyman... <clears throat> he's almost the embodiment of all of this injustice. Yes. It's almost like William has this knowledge that there has to be almost some kind of sacrifice in order for... Candyman to either come back or to have power once again. Mm-hmm. That to me is again more knowledge than I think one single person that operates this laundromat would have. I agree. That's why this whole thing doesn't make sense. Yeah, because he doesn't know that the cops are just going to show up and say, "All right, well, there's a guy with the hook. Kill him. He's dead. All right, let's go about our business." He has knowledge that this is going to resurrect Candyman in some way. Well, technically, re- Candyman has already been resurrected he's been killing people just fine right but this guy doesn't know that yes william William doesn't know that Candyman has been killing all these people i mean he has an inclination to it and also he's seeing like what's happening to anthony slowly see i don't understand that either it doesn't make sense but movies the fucking the bug bite that he gets starts to fester right but that's that's also something that we're thinking is supernatural yes but it's, it was it's, always meant to happen because in the first film, um, Candyman chooses to kidnap the child, not only to lure Helen back to him, but also as like, like it was all part of a ceremony that he was going to do. So in theory, we have to think like Anthony was always meant to come back to Cabrini Green. Anthony was always meant to become the next, you know, part of the urban legend. Even Anthony, as you mentioned at the beginning, also being an artist 
just like Daniel Robitaille, the original Candyman. Like, it's almost as if he's the reincarnation this time. Because in the first film, they try to make it seem like Helen was the reincarnation of Daniel Robitaille's lost love. The women that he died for. In this one, they're almost making it seem as though Anthony is the reincarnation of Daniel Robitaille. Another artist living in a world that's like teetering, like this racially charged world. Where does he fit in? Because Daniel Robitaille's character was beloved for what he was doing, which was his art. But not for who he was. He was always going to be an outsider. And the same thing is happening to Anthony. So I think that they sort of make it seem like he's the reincarnation of Daniel Robitaille. Yes. The next details of the film get a little bit hazy. But we're going to end it now. Brianna gets free from her like... Can I just make one observation? Yes. (laughs) William calls the cops, right? (laughs) William calls the cops. And it's funny. I'm pretty sure this was a scene that was added within the past year or two. Okay. Because he pulls... Everybody's famous now with such part Karen, the bitch that called the, the, the cops on the dog walker. Yes. <laughs> saying that a black crime and a black man is whatever. Mm-hmm. That's the technique that William uses. Willie clean socks. <laughs> Jesus that's the that's a technique William uses. He gets on the phone and immediately starts shouting, saying there's a black man with a knife, he's killed several people. The the level of hysterics kind of reminded me of the Central Park Karen. I agree. Um I think that Message well, I'm just thinking, I'm yeah. just saying, like, in theory, people were already suspecting Anthony of something because he had so many connections with the original murders. So I think all of that probably added to the. The only crimes he was guilty of was having some murderous biceps. <laughs> um, so I'm going to finish this now and what? hold all your comments until I, I get to the end, please. Okay. Brianna gets free of her shackles, her chains, whatever you want to call it. And flees for her life. Coleman Domingo, aka William, is now chasing after her. <laughs> AKA. <laughs> AKA William is now chasing after her. They're using a tunnel system underneath Cabrini Green that leads apparently to the church and the abandoned apartments where William grew up. She exits into the apartment. Coleman Domingo's after her. She fucking fights him. She stabs him like 20 fucking times to make sure that that motherfucker is dead. Mm hmm. This is where things kind of get a little hazy. Basically, Anthony appears in the apartment with her. Yeah. I don't know how... I don't know what the word is. Sentient, how much he's aware of what's going on. Because he seems almost like a zombie. He just passed out. But he was there, like, standing there. Yeah. The cops come, enter the house. Oh, no, wait, he's not. He, he passed out. He yes, you're right. She's holding yeah, him. Yeah, and she's holding him, cradling his body... The cops enter and just shoot. Yeah. No warning, no I don't nothing. Know. And right. I thought that they shot Brianna. Yeah, I didn't know did how much of this was on purpose or how much of this was just maybe like weird editing or like certain sin- like uh, in in terms of the cin- cin- cinematography. Also, I think it's funny that her name is Brianna and then we also had a recent, uh, at the time, the murder of Brianna Taylor who was killed sleeping in her bed at home in a similar position. Yeah them just in an apartment no yeah. warning no nothing just guns go off exactly so i i didn't know how much of this was intentional but it does a weird thing where it shows her holding anthony then it pans up to the cops who kind of just kick in the door and just start blasting these people on the we floor we don't even see the cops we see the lights of the sirens we hear them rustling the whole time we're just fixed on the image of brianna right. waiting for death basically. but then when it cuts back to her 
Anthony is kind of like on a couple feet away from her. That's true. So I don't. Again, I don't know. Weird editing. Somebody they didn't have like a script supervisor being like, oh, actually he was over here. Yeah. It was. That it would have made more weird. sense if they if he was like still in his like weird like zombie like phase like state, and she like approached him because he's like now standing there in the apartment, and then they were so, he, she was sort of like talking to him like, are you okay? Like what's happening? whatever and he's just kind of like looking at her in a daze then the cops come in and shoot him i think that that would have made more sense logistically well yeah but i think that this kind of works a little bit better just because they're both clearly incapacitated like he's lying on the floor she's cradling him there's really nothing threatening sure, about I, I agree with you but then you know you because just pointed the out movie, the editing mistake the movie has to have a message jackie yeah well we've, it's too much well no because so it's they, in my notes i'm gonna talk about it they kill they killed anthony as if he wasn't already halfway there and they take Brianna, um, they put the cuffs on her, they put her in the back of the cop car, and there is a cop at the f- front seat in the driver's position, and he's basically, like, giving her the, the lowdown. He's, like, telling her, either you can stick with our story um, about how, you know, Anthony appro- approached us with a weapon, he was a danger to not only you, but us, and we shot him down, or you can tell your version of the story, and we'll see where things go. And then Brianna's like, oh, can I see myself in the mirror, in your fucking rearview mirror? And he's like, why the fuck would I do that? She's like, I'll do anything you say. Just, like, let me see myself in the mirror. Brianna then decides to summon Candyman by saying his name five times in the mirror. This works. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure does. Candyman is revived as we believe, Anthony. Um, his face is sort of covered, I believe, by bees at this point. He floats out in his little converse. (laughs) With the pimp coat and the hook hand. But the voice we hear is then a mashup of both Anthony and then slowly becoming the original Tony Todd, Daniel Robitaille, Candyman voice. He does his little monologue. Yes. I am. Sweet smell of blood on the pavement. I'm the uh, bees in the bonnet. <laughs> I'm the bees knees. I'm the bees in the bonnet. I'm the gum on your shoe. <laughs> and then he spooky, kills spooky, all the spooky. he kills all the cops. Every single one. Um, it was beautiful. It was. And That's then, the most violent. And we still don't get to see it. We still don't get to see it. We Everything see it. happens. Yeah. We hear what's happening to the cops inside of the apartment. We see the cop inside the car flee. He runs away into the alley. Candyman follows him kills him from afar and then the final shot of the film is close uh, closing zooming in on anthony who then becomes the titular his face morphs into tony todd yes the og candy man and scene this is a shit show it's not a shit show i don't this whole movie's a shit show yeah i mean the movie's a shit show listen and we're just along for and the then, ride. Right. You get the two seconds where your nipples get hard. And it's Tony Todd. And his last words to Brianna are, tell everyone. So that's what it, it ends. All the right. movie ends. I think we. I think it, the movie was a little bit of a ripoff. We're gonna, now we're going to see. Now we have to do criticism. Of the movie. Yeah. We're gonna, we've been criticizing the whole movie the whole time. But this is going to be our final thoughts. No, this is not final thoughts. Final thoughts. That's not my final thoughts. I thought this whole movie was a little bit of a scam. They advertise Tony Todd as being Candyman. Top billing. So fucking hard in this movie. Black don't crack. He still looks the same. Exact, he looks amazing. He looks like the same exact person he from thirty years ago. Exactly. 
I would understand. I see. I don't know what their intention was. I, listen, I, I don't know. I can. You know what? Don't don't even get Tony Todd involved because they're gonna make a fucking sequel. I would imagine. Exactly. I would have just left. We ne- should be called the Cult of Candyman, Jordan Peele. Right. I wouldn't have even gotten him. I would have gotten Tony Todd involved. I would have just had that act. I forget his name. The the guy that plays Anthony. You could have just had Anthony sort of trying to discover Candyman. What is going on here? Whatever. Mm-hmm. And then through whatever he does, whatever magic happens, he just becomes Candyman. Don't even have Tony Todd in the movie. I would have been okay with them not using his image and maybe having a bit of his voice in it. Right, because like maybe that's such a big part of the ca- right. of the character. Anthony maybe has a bad dream, and it's like to- it's um, Daniel Robitaille like doing one of his monologues, and he wakes up, and he's like, oh, oh. maybe that could be the yeah, movie. Yeah, or it's if him. anything, you okay. could have a movie like The Wolfman, where he sort of like maybe wakes up, and he's like, "What the fuck did I do? Like, I don't know." And yeah. he slowly becomes the new Candyman, and yeah. it's like, okay, that's this generation's Candyman. Have this gigantic uh, chocolate daddy be the new Candyman that we all know and love. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. But I think the problem is is that they wanted to bring in the lore of like, oh, there's many Candymans and not like just this one character of Daniel Robitaille. So if you were going to pitch Tony Todd, that should have been the man we saw in the mirror the entire fucking time. Not the fucking guy giving out candy from the beginning of the movie who who was the Candyman we saw. Yeah. See, again, so a fucking tease. I didn't need that. Or if you were going to do that, then show every single version of Candyman at some point. Like, yeah, I don't need that. What I'm saying is like they tr- they drilled it so much into us that it's many people becoming one legend, right? Then show all the people. Don't just focus on the two. You have to you have to pick your battles here. If you focus on the one Candyman, a.k.a. Tony Todd, or you give us all of them in little glimpses. Because it's then you're only telling the story of two you, people. You know what they should have done? I think that it should have been Anthony chasing the story for his art project. Gets a little in too deep. Maybe he does learn about all the murders that have happened previously. And, ha- and I think that they could have still connected it with him being the baby from the first movie. Right. That's fine. Done all that. And then at the end... I'm repeating myself. Don't even acknowledge Daniel Robitaille. Uh, Robit- Daniel Robitaille. Don't even acknowledge him. Just... Oh... And now he's like, what the fuck is going on? Oh, shit, I'm the new Candyman. Like, have him, maybe, you could have had that entire ending where he gets set up, or he's the scapegoat, and he gets murdered. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end, he transforms into Candyman, because that's what it takes for that character to become Candyman, is you have to be the victim of some type of, like, injustice. Yeah. Or, you know. And just so happens that he's, like, on that land that's, like, full of that, like, right. you know, bad juju, basically. Right. Exactly. I agree with you. But, again, I think that they were trying to ham-fist this whole thing into you where it's like, oh, they're not going to get it if there's only one guy. We have to, like, give you a new story and See, give you more and is... more an urban legend. And I don't think that was necessary. Right. This is my problem with this, right? I'm not the type of person where... I mean, you hear people like this all the time where they're like, keep politics out of my movies. Mm -hmm. Keep politics out of my video games. Keep politics out of... I think that all of that is par for the course, right? I think that art comes from real life. Nothing is made in a vacuum. However, I think that the director and producers of this movie got so caught up in, like, the social justice aspects of it. There's aspects of that that And I think it's because of the time it was being made. Right, but the thing, though, is there's there's aspects of that that you can definitely use that were in the first one. 
But at the end of the day, I think that they forgot that they also have to make a successful horror movie as well mm -hmm. and a successful story. Yeah. You know, like, I think so that, much. Yeah. I think that sometimes people, and I can understand this thought process, but I think that they felt a, a strong responsibility to obviously, yes, make a successful film, but I think that they, they felt I don't a strong, think they did try I to think, do that. I think that they wanted to, but I think they also felt, especially because of when this was being made, a strong responsibility to say something. Yeah. And they tried a little too hard. Like, they felt like, we are black creators. We have to show a point of view. We have to speak for these people that don't have voices, especially during this turbulent ass time in fucking America. Yeah. And I and I felt like if they wouldn't have said anything, if they wouldn't have made this point, if they wouldn't have tried to hammer it home as hard as they did, people would have criticized them for it. So it's I, like right. and especially because again, going back to my point, Bernard Rose made an, made a, a point to tie race into this film, into this story so hard as a white man, they had to tell their perspectives as people of color. There has to be a reason to make this film, right? Yeah, I always well, say this all the, the time, is, right? Yeah. When I talk about how like I think reboots are bullshit, whatever, you have to have a purpose. What story are you telling? Why is this movie being made other than like for money, right? I yeah, think they wanted to prove that, that there was a point to you, making this movie. Right, but the the, mo the the point could have been made I agree with you. Better. Before you said it, <laughs> yes, I agree with you. Right? But it's it could like, have been made better. I think there was a lot of And it could fluff. have been more, it could have been more nuanced. It could have been. Okay. It could have been. Can, can I give my opinion what I think is happening here? The, we said between before, you and I or between the, the three, basically our relationship is over. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> what I think is a combination of the three screenwriters and everybody having a circle jerk, not knowing what the fuck to do, everybody, whatever. The other one, I'm pretty sure, and I hope I'm wrong, is uh, Jordan Peele gone wild. <laughs> I think, right, Jordan Peele has always kind of towed that line of making movies that are very obvious, but he still does it in a way that's like, oh, I ne wouldn't have never thought to have it, to, to, make, to have this message, but done through like a certain lens or a certain tone. You know, he did get out. All of his movies are like that, though. Right. But what I'm saying is, all of his movies have been very obvious, very on the nose. There's never been any subtlety to them. I think that it seems like he's always had a team that has kind of been able to sort of bring him back from the edge. You know? Because that kind of stuff can become very ham-fisted and very obvious and very, you know, beats you over the head with the message. I think his last two movies, I mean, he directed them as well as produced them. I think he's always had somebody there to be like, you know what, why don't we scale it back a little bit? Because I understand what you're doing, but you don't want to go fully into the preachy, like, right? I think this one, everybody sort of lauded him as a genius, whatever, which I think he is. I think he's a very intelligent filmmaker. He's a very smart guy. I think that he could have benefited from somebody telling him, we need to scale this back a little bit because this is really like... We're beating it over our audience's heads. Yeah, I agree know? with you. Um, I think that that probably would have been unavoidable for this particular film because of the choice to make the topic of art and gentrification and profiting from black pain as a main part of this film. You know, like know. Just... they talk about it plain as day. They compare artists, white gentrifiers and all this kind of stuff and how white people are, are gentrifiers, I mean, sorry, artists are gentrifiers too. They talk about all this stuff plain as day, like the characters are having these discussions right. in real time. 
They made the choice to make him an artist. They made the choice the, to like depict. But there's ways you can do that subtly. No, I know I that, but I'm saying, but like, I think those other films are not talking about the, like the topic that they're trying to subtly, you know, feed the children, so to speak. The youth is the youth is not the subject of the entire film. Whereas in Candyman, that is the subject of the entire film. I how how do how do communities deal with the violence? And disenfranchisement placed upon them. How do we deal with gentrification? How do we deal with profiting from black pain? I think that that's this whole movie. That's the whole movie. And I, I, I think I, that that's yeah. why it becomes so hammered home. I think what this movie teaches us is that we only try to profit. We only care about people and specifically people of color when it's like profiting from their pain. Yeah, but and it's just like mm-hmm. that happens in the scene with Brianna and her trying to like get a job at this prestigious, you know, gallery or museum or whatever, and they only care about her now because of the fucked up shit that's happened surrounding, you know, the murders. See, but I and think it's like that, yeah. we oh, and then in these movies, like, like we're only like even Brianna says it. Like, there's a point in the beginning where. Uh, fucking Anthony's making these paintings and they're so gratuitously, gratuitously violent. And she's like, well, like, are you really saying anything new? Right? Yeah. And it's just like, well, that seems to be the only message that people fucking care about. That's the only thing that gets people to listen is when these violent acts are being shown to you in your face. Look at fucking again, George Floyd. Mm-hmm. The only reason why people cared is because this woman decided to keep rolling the tape to keep filming and then fucking post it online for everybody to see is it fucking terrible to watch this man die on video yes would we have had the same results if we had not been Hmm. exposed to this constantly no all right i agree so i think that this movie is just like it was unavoidable do we like it maybe not i think it's okay movie i think it you know what i think the movie had potential and at some point it got lost a little bit. It was kind of like somebody somebody thing- was afraid to be like, oh, maybe we should. Like, okay, this is what I guarantee you happened. Whoever it was that's like the yes man that like makes the things go through yeah. or like pushes things through is definitely a white guy, right? <laughs> and they gave this to him and he was one of those dudes that was like, oh, God, if I say something, I'm going to seem racist. Yeah, fuck it. Put it through. And like there was no checks and balances. Especially during this time. I, I That's what I think happened. Like I... I don't I like to be. The, I, think I, I think that I think that there can be messages, but I also don't like being preached to. And I think that that's what this movie is. And it's stuff. The thing is, is like I agree with a lot of the stuff. That they, I, I agree with a lot of the messages of the movie, but it's like I don't like it hammered over my head. Like there's a, there are so that's the only way there, to get people to listen. Sometimes there like, maybe are, not listen, you, but on. other people. I'm not done. Okay, yeah. Well, you interrupt me all the there's time. There's parts of the movie that like are done subtly, and it's like, oh, I can see what whatever. But then there's other parts of the movie that's like, oh. You see? You see what's happening? It, it's racism. Yeah, but what I'm... You know? What I, what I think the point that I was making before, and, and I agree with you, while I don't need it hammer-fisted over my head because it's also like our lived experiences, mm-hmm. is that that's the only way sometimes to get people to give a fuck or to listen, is to show this gratuitous violence, to show the torture porn, to show the faces of people being murdered and the, the results of it because sometimes talking to people and trying to have intelligent conversations with people and trying to like tell your story like people don't give a fuck you know right so i think that they were making this less for people like you and i who understand this and more for people who are like 
I don't get why they're making such a big deal. Like, violence happens everywhere. Everybody can be a victim of violence. Everybody can be a victim of police brutality, not just black folks, not just people of color. Mm-hmm. I think that's who they're making this person for. But we get it because we're smart, intelligent people. Do you think, I pray to God that Jordan Peele, there's, when this movie comes out on Blu-ray or whatever, that there's a deleted scene that's just Louis Farrakhan yelling at Candyman. <laughs> For, get, for, for trying to get some white pussy in the oh first movie. Oh, God. I just want Tony Todd to be sitting there all dejected, is like slushed over, and Farrakhan is just like, Excuse me. My brother, you let this white jackal woman put bees in your chest. <laughs> she didn't put the bees in his chest. Come on. You tried to kiss this white devil woman, this blue eyed white devil. She gave you a hook for your beautiful, your, your beautiful art making hand. And then Candyman converts to the nation of islam so he still has the pimp coat but he's got a little red bow tie and he doesn't eat pork anymore right. definitely no white all woman. right as you can see we've both lost our minds we're descending into madness so we're gonna Wait. you you've said all i've said all that we have to say you've said all that we've had to say jordan peele said everything he has to say mm-hmm. all i think to end this to end this podcast is i think nia DaCosta is a good director i think the movie got lost in the sauce in store in in terms of just the story you know there there are choices made that further complicated things that did not need to be complicated specifically the story behind william the laundry man um but overall i didn't hate it if we're gonna go back to our rating system i'd give it three and a three binnies three binnies did like the i would give direction of the film the visuals were very titillating. Yeah. I did not care for the music. I thought the soundtrack of the first film was amazing, and I feel like they should have used that at some point as a remix. Yeah. And I, that's what I give it. What do okay. you give it, Damien? So. We're closing it up. What are you giving it? Final. Don't rush me. Listen. Oh, my God, Damien. I give it, it. Out of five binnies. Okay, I give it two and a half binnies. Oh, no. Really disappointed that uh, the OG Tony Todd was not in it more or was just the main character. I think story-wise, there's a lot of stuff that they could have kind of like cut or reworked to make it kind of a more cohesive story. Mm -hmm. I did not get a sense of like there being a real clear mythology in terms of Candyman, you know? I get it with what they were doing with certain things, but other things were kind of just like, oh, you just made this up on the spot right now. Uh, What else? And I gave it an extra Benny also because he gave two and a half. My extra half of my Benny goes towards Manual Cinema's shadow puppetry that um didn't that took exposition to the next level i think that was a great directorial decision to do the shadow puppetry to tell the stories of uh Candyman's past and the entire credit scene is dedicated to this art form and telling the stories of deceased uh killed murdered black men within that community so just yeah. a shout out. Yeah, that shadow puff this stuff was beautiful. And we didn't talk you about it see, enough, but it was see, great. You don't see actual like hand done art forms. And it also because the movie was about an artist, I think having that art form in it was a great touch. I think if you want a movie that's worth five minis, you should go watch the original nineteen ninety two version of Candyman. Word to your mother.
And that, it's been what, like three and a half it's hours? It's been or a lifetime. It's but thank you so hours. much for sticking with us. If you've made it to the end, just, even if you've had to pause and come back to us later, can I just say, you made it. We're getting, and you're not gonna say anything else. We're getting our groove back. We're gonna we're gonna we're get back into the group. We're fighting again, like we're, our beautiful. hands are clenched together. Yeah, now. right now, literally, we are just your holding are each so other's small. hands. Why are your hands so small? Because I'm just a small, dainty lady. Which I'm not. I'm you not. could follow us <laughs> on Instagram at TrashbinKids. Send us an email. Do you have spooky stories? Do you just want to tell us hello? What's your favorite candy? What's your favorite candy? What's your favorite candy? Follow us at TrashbinKids. You could follow Jackie at JackieVersWorld. That's Jackie VS World, all one word. I've officially quit Instagram, so don't fucking look for me there. No, but follow him anyway. I Show quit. Damien that you love him I at quit. Damien Rivera on Instagram. Okay. And That's enough of thank that. you so much. We love you we love so you. much. Bye. Bye. Bye.